I think you'll agree that these are, in fact, uncertain times. We're facing things that we have never faced before, at least not in our lifetime. I know that our parents and our grandparents have gone through some things that are similar to this, but in my 42 years of ministry, I have never experienced anything quite like this. It's interesting that you hear people talking about prayer and the importance of prayer at a time like this, and I'm so glad that that's what they're doing. Whether they're praying or not, they're at least thinking about it, and they've recognized that they need someone who is greater than they are and greater than the matter we face. And the reality is that God wants to give us a peace that passes all understanding. Last week, I spoke to you about finding peace in solitude. But today, I want to talk to you about finding peace in prayer, in uncertain times, finding that peace that comes to us through the matter of prayer. And I want to begin by reading to you from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Pay attention again to those verses It says, come boldly, not brashly, not arrogantly, but with confidence. He invites us into his very presence. And he says, when we come into his presence, we find mercy and we find grace. And specifically, he tells us where? To help us in our time of need. I think you'll agree with me, this is a time of need. And God is inviting us into his very presence for us to be able to commune with the God of heaven who is greater than all that we are facing and for God to use this in our lives, these moments of prayer to bring to us the strength, the grace, and the mercy that we need. A number of years ago, I was reading and preparing for a series of messages about missions In doing so, I came across the name of a medical missionary that I had never heard. I thought I'd heard most every missionary who had a famous story, but I had never heard the name of this particular missionary. She was a medical missionary from England, and she served for nearly 20 years in the former Belgian Congo from 1953 to 1973. In 1964, she was taken as a prisoner for five months by the rebel forces that cruelly abused her and beat her. After her release, she went back to England, but later returned to the Congo in 1966. And during those years, she assisted in the rebuilding of the nation by helping to establish a new medical school and a hospital because the others had been torn down and destroyed in the uprising. And of course, she served doing that until 1973. Her name is Dr. Helen Rosevere. Dr. Rosevere has written about 10 books. One of them is a biography of her life. And when I came to hear her name, I began looking up. You can Google her name and you can watch on YouTube some videos where she's recorded talking about some of her experiences. And it's truly fascinating when you do that. But I went and looked for some of the books that she had written. She died in 2016 at the age of 91, so she's been gone about four years. But her books are still available. And one of those books that I came across, I have as an electronic book, 
is a book she wrote called Living Faith, Living Faith. And in that book, she talks about the power of a little girl's prayer that I think will move your heart and I hope will challenge you to desire to pray yourself, especially during times like this, but coming out of these times, and we will come out of these times. Coming out of these times, we will have developed a pattern of prayer in our lives. And rather than me try to tell you the story, I'm going to read you the story that she writes about this little, this little girl. Dr. Rosevere writes, One night I had worked hard to help a mother in the labor ward, but in spite of all we could do, she died, leaving us with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter. We would have difficulty keeping the baby alive, and as we had no incubator, we had no electricity to run an incubator, and no special feeding facilities, although we lived on the equator, nights were often chilly with treacherous drafts. One student midwife went for the box we had for such babies and the cotton wool the baby would be wrapped in. Another went to stoke up the fire and fill a hot water bottle. She came back shortly in distress to tell me that in filling the bottle, it had burst. Rubber perishes easily, she says, in tropical climates. And this midwife said, and it's our last hot water bottle. It's our last hot water bottle. Dr. Rosevere continues, as in the West, it is no good crying over spilled milk. So in Central Africa, it might be considered no good crying over burst water bottles. They do not grow on trees, and there are no drugstores down forest pathways. All right, I said, put the baby as near the fire as you safely can. Sleep between the baby and the door to keep it free from drafts. Your job is is to keep the baby warm. Dr. Rosevere continues, The following noon, as I did most days, I went to have prayers with any of the orphanage children who chose to gather with me. I gave the youngsters various suggestions of things to pray about and told them about the tiny baby. I explained our problem about keeping the baby warm, mentioning the hot water bottle. The baby could so easily die if it got chills. I also told them of the two-year-old sister crying because her mother had died. During the prayer time, one 10-year-old girl, Ruth, prayed with the, uh, with the usual blunt conciseness of our African children. Please, God, she prayed, send us a water bottle. It'll be no good tomorrow, God, as the baby will be dead. So please send it this afternoon. While I gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added by way of corollary, and while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know you really love her? As often with children's prayers, Dr. Rosevere says, I was put on the spot. Can I honestly say amen? I just did not believe that God could do this. Oh, yes, I know that he can do everything. The Bible says so. But there are limits, aren't there? The only way God could answer this particular prayer would be by sending me a parcel from the homeland. I had been in Africa for almost four years at that time, and I had never, ever received a parcel from home. 
anyway. If anyone did send me a parcel, who would put it in a who would put in a hot water bottle? I lived on the equator. Halfway through the afternoon, while I was teaching in the nurse's training school, a message was sent that there was a car at my front door. By the time I reached home, the car had gone, but there on the veranda was a large 22-pound parcel. I felt tears pricking my eyes. I could not open the parcel alone, so I sent for the orphanage children. Together, we pulled off the string, carefully undoing each knot. We folded the paper, taking care not to tear it unduly. Excitement was mounting. Some 30 or 40 pairs of eyes were focused on the large cardboard box. From the top, I lifted out brightly colored knitted shirts. Eyes sparkled as I pulled them out. Then there were the knitted bandages for the leprosy patients, and the children looked a little bored. Then came a box of mixed raisins and sultanas. That would make a nice bunch of buns for the weekend. Then, as I put my hand in again, I felt the... Could it really be? I grasped it and pulled it out. Yes, a brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I had not asked God to send it. I had not truly believed that he could. Ruth was in the front row of the children. She rushed forward crying out, if God has sent the bottle, he must have sent the dolly too. Rummaging down to the bottom of the box, she pulled out the small, beautifully dressed dolly. Her eyes shone. She had never doubted. Looking up at me, she asked, Can I go over with you, Mommy, and give this dolly to that little girl so she'll know that Jesus really loves her? Dr. Rosevere finishes by saying, That parcel had been on the way for five whole months, packed up by my former Sunday school class, whose leader had heard and obeyed God's prompting to send a hot water bottle even to the equator. And one of the girls had pinned in a dolly for an African child five months before in answer to the believing prayer of a 10-year-old to bring it that afternoon. I want to stop here for a moment. I want to ask you to interact with me if you can. If you're on Facebook Live or one of the other platforms where there's a comment box, just help me, if you will, by letting me know that you're with me. Can God still answer prayer as dramatically as the prayer of that little 10-year-old girl? Just type yes or no. And then a second question. Have you ever seen a dramatic answer to prayer in your own life? Maybe just type us a sentence or two of something about that prayer and how God answered it. The fact is, I believe he can, and we have to pray because God can do big things if we'll only talk to God. You know, the problem too often in America, at least in American Christianity, is that the concept of prayer clashes with our independent spirits. For us, prayer is too often the last resort rather than the first response. Let me say it again. Too often prayer is the last resort rather than the first response 
And the reason is because we think we can handle life on our own without anyone else's help until, until a real crisis hits. And I think you'll agree, we're at a moment in history when we're experiencing a real crisis. So let me ask you again to interact with me. If you're in or watching on one of those uh, by one of those means where you can interact with us, just give me some answers here. What emotions have you been feeling these past couple of weeks? Just be honest. Are you afraid, anxious, the uncertainty of it all? What emotions have you been feeling? No judgment, just being real with one another. And how concerned are you about the weeks to come? Just just tell us. Just a a word or two or a sentence or two. How, how are you feeling at this moment so that we'll know and we'll know how to pray for you? Too many of us never cry out to God until we have no other options left. But if we're going to calm our souls in these troubled times, we have to develop, we have to develop a radical dependence on God that is characterized by a committed communion with him in prayer. Did you hear that? We have to develop a radical dependence on God that is characterized by a committed communion with him. Prayerlessness in reality is the expression of our own independent attitudes that say, I can do this on my own, and I don't need your help, God. But I think you'll agree, even many of our political leaders have recognized that this is more than just science, that this is more than just politics, that they need the help of someone who is greater than they are, and that we, in fact, cannot do this on our own We need God's help, and God can answer big prayers. A number of years ago, our grandson was probably five or six years of age. He was over to our house, and he was trying to learn how to jump rope, and he had the right motion for jumping the rope, but the problem was that the rope was too long. And so when he brought it over his head and tried to pull it back under his feet before his feet came back to the ground, he couldn't pull it fast enough to get it under his feet. So his mother said to him as she was watching him become increasingly more frustrated, let me shorten the rope for you, Luke. I'll shorten the rope for you, Luke. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget, or I will always remember, never forget hearing him say, I can do it. I can do it. I don't need your help. I can do it. And he sat down on the floor, and he began working with the rope, trying to untie the rope, trying to figure out how to, how to shorten that rope. After he had done that, I don't know, probably five or six or seven minutes, totally frustrated because he couldn't jump the rope because it was too long, and totally frustrated because he couldn't find a way to shorten the rope, he turns to his mom, and he hands it to her, and he says, here, Mommy, you do it. Now, the fact of the matter is we admire that independent spirit in a child. We know that it'll help them at some point in life when it comes to their career, something that they have to do in life. But that type of independence in the spiritual life short circuits our spiritual lives and keeps us in unnecessary rest, unrest, excuse me. It keeps us in unnecessary unrest, that 
sense of independence. We don't need anyone else's help. We can do this on our own causes more unrest when if we would just turn to God and say, here, God, can you do this for me? Will you help me in this? The result is that God comes and God brings to us a peace and God brings to us his help and God causes the anxiety and the fear to be diminished if we would only pray and ask God to help us. Stop and think for a few moments about the early New Testament church. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 43, this is what it says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Think about it. They continued steadfastly in doctrine. That's the teaching of the word of God. They continued steadfastly in fellowship. That's the opposite of what we're having to do right now. This social distancing, they weren't doing that because they didn't have the crisis that we have at this moment. They were coming together and they were interacting with one another. In the breaking of bread, they were sharing meals together. And they were observing the Lord's table. But then it says, and in prayers. The Jewish people prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And apparently these new believers in Jesus continued that pattern, morning, noon, and night. And then there were other gatherings when they came together and they prayed. The early church prayed. They didn't depend on themselves in their own ability. It says they continued steadfastly in prayer. That little phrase is the translation of a single Greek word that means to occupy oneself diligently with something, to pay persistent attention to it, to hold fast to something, or to continually be in it. And that's the idea, to be continually in prayer, continually in prayer. Luke uses that same verb when he's talking about the 120 that are in the upper room waiting for the day of Pentecost, and they were devoted to praying during that time. He uses that word again uh, when uh, the apostles are presented the problem of the widows that are being neglected, some of them being neglected and not being taken care of, and they appoint seven men to begin taking care of those widows, bringing them food when they were hungry. And the reason... Because the apostles were to devote themselves to be continually steadfast in the word of God and in prayer. One scholar translates that word as constant in their attention. Constant in their attention. May I suggest to you that in the times in which we're living, really any time, but especially in the times in which we are living, we desperately need to be constant in attention to the matter of prayer because God hears prayer and God answers prayer and God can do big things and it brings rest to our soul when we go and we pour out our soul to God. A few years ago, my son called me and he told me, Dad, we're going to go together with some of the pastors and members of our church and we're flying from Dallas, Texas uh, to Colorado, and we're going to have a silent retreat. I've never heard of such a thing. And so we're going to have a silent retreat for three days, 72 hours. We're going to be in cabins in the mountains. No iPhones, no iPads, no computers, no laptops, no televisions. For 72 hours when we're awake, 
We're going to spend that time reading our Bibles and praying. And then each evening they would come together and they would talk about some of the things that God was showing them and teaching them as they read the Word of God and as they were pouring their hearts out to God. And I'll never forget my son coming back and telling me some of the things that God had done in his heart, some of the things that God had revealed to him, some of the direction that God had given to him. Why? Because he shut out all of the noise for a little while. And he spent time in prayer. Can I encourage you? As much as we need to stay up with the news, we don't have to watch it 24 hours a day. We need to get away from it some. And some of that time, we need to spend alone with God. So let me ask you another question. And let me have you to interact with me, if you will. What is your favorite place to get away from all the noise and the rush of our world? Where is that place? In your house? Do you like to walk out through the woods? Is it off in some distant place? Where is that place for you? May I suggest that we're in a situation where we're forced into our homes, and we need to find a place even in our houses to be able to get along with God. When this program ends in a few moments, maybe that's what you do with your family. Say, look, we're going to have 15 minutes or 30 minutes of quiet if your children are old enough to understand. They're going to have 15 or 30 minutes of quiet. We're going to read our Bibles, and we're going to pray to God. We're going to call out to God. Listen, the early church was committed to communing with the Lord, hearing his voice, and knowing his will. Prayer for them wasn't a one-way conversation. It wasn't a matter of just bringing a grocery list and leaving it before God. It was about feeling his presence, about being assured of his love, about knowing his heart. And that's what God wants to do for you in these troubling times, in the midst of these trials that are going on around us. He wants us to sit in his presence He wants to speak to our hearts through his word. He wants us to pour out our hearts to him in prayer. And God wants to calm us in the midst of the trouble all around us. And prayer is one of the ways that God does that. Let me say it again. If we're going to calm our souls in troubled times, we have to develop a radical dependence on God that is characterized by a committed communion with him in prayer. And I'm hoping that during, that during these days when we're forced to stay in, that we will use some of that time to find peace in solitude and in solitude to spend those moments praying in seeking the face of God, calling out to God and talking to God and telling him exactly how you feel and asking God to help us in these difficult times. I got to looking in the book of Acts and I found at least 16 references to the early church praying. For instance, in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31, it says the church gathered to pray in response to persecution. In Acts chapter 9, verse 40, it says that Peter prayed and God miraculously raised up Dorcas or Tabitha from the death, from, from death. In Acts chapter 12, verses 5, Acts chapter 12, verses 5 and 12, the church united in a home to offer collective, constant prayer, it says, for Peter 
even through the night. And the list goes on and on. Jim Cimbala, who wrote the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, says that there are at least 30 references to prayer in the book of Acts. That's the church. That's the people of God. That's the disciples of Jesus. That's the followers of Jesus. They were pouring out their hearts. And while they didn't have a pandemic to deal with, they had persecution to deal with. And they were pouring out their hearts to God. And God was giving them strength. And God was giving them grace. And God was giving them the help that they needed, that mercy and that grace to help in their time of need. And actually, when you look through the rest of the New Testament, prayer is all over the pages of the rest of the New Testament. In Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 12, it says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, it says, continue earnestly in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it says, pray without ceasing. Now, please. Don't bow your head if you're driving somewhere and close your eyes. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about maintaining a heart of prayer where you're constantly calling out to God. So let me say something to all of you who are watching. Don't jump offline yet. I'm going to give you some practical applications to what I've just been talking about. What I've just been talking about. But then I'm going to give you one final story before we finish from Dr. Rosevere in her book, Living Faith, and you do not want to miss this story. So you're saying, okay, Pastor, I, I hear what you're saying about the importance of prayer, that I've got to have this radical dependence on God that is characterized by consistently seeking him in prayer, acknowledging I can't handle this myself, but God, you can handle it, and turning to God and asking God, like that 10-year-old 10, 10 little girl, asking God for big prayers because God can do anything. Say, how, how can I apply this matter of prayer so that I can be constantly in prayer? Well, first of all, follow the Acts paradigm, A-C-T-S, the Acts paradigm. A stands for adoration, C for confession, T for thanksgiving, and S for supplication. It just becomes a pattern to help you with your prayers. Adoration means praising God for who he is. C is about confessing and admitting any sins in our lives that have broken our fellowship with him. Thanksgiving is about expressing our gratitude that he's watching over us and that he's going to help us and for the many things that he's done for us. And supplication is when we're praying for ourselves and we're praying for others. Here's the second thing to do. I call it drive-by praying or what others call prayer walks. Can I suggest to you that if you get to get out and walk around your neighborhood like we can because we're still far enough away that we don't take the chance of infecting or be infected by someone else, can I tell you that when you're driving by or you're walking around your neighborhood, pray for your neighbors. When you walk past their house, just call their names to the Lord in prayer. When you ride down the road and you see a small business and the doors are closed that's usually open and the parking lot full, pray for the employees in that business. Pray for God to take care of them and to meet their needs. Pray for them to be able to open soon and get back to business. Pray for those that need God's touch of healing in their lives. 
so you're driving around and you just use those things that you see as opportunities to spur you to pray or you're walking and they, you're praying for your friends. That spurs you to pray about these matters. A third thing you can do is to set some prayer PowerPoints. If you have a smartphone or a smartwatch, you, you can get your calendar and you can program it so that at a certain time every day, it reminds you to stop and just pray. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. It can just be a few sentence prayer, but it reminds you, maybe more than once a day, it reminds you to pray. I do that with my medication so that I don't forget to take them. It goes off every day at a certain time so that I take the medications I have to take. Program it for prayer as well. That's important to our spiritual lives. And then pray as you read and hear the news. When you hear about what's going on in Italy or you hear about what's going on in Spain or what's going on in Wuhan, China and other parts of the world, stop and pray for those that are being affected. Pray for those that are on the front lines, our nurses, uh, the first responders, the doctors, the others that are working in the medical field that are on the front lines, uh, those who are delivering to us uh, the things that we have to be able to purchase to sustain lives, the grocery stores that are providing for us so that we can sustain our lives and they have employees that have to be there. Pray as you hear the news and as you read the news for those that are being affected by the coronavirus outbreak, for families that are affected because of job situations. Pray for the government leaders you might not always agree with them, but you know you can pray for them anyway. Pray for our missionaries, and on and on the list can go. And then I want to give you one last one, and that is you could send an email to somebody that includes a prayer. Just write out your prayer and send it to somebody. Say, say I, I sent this to you. This is the prayer. I just prayed for you. Or maybe you pick up the phone and you call that person and you pray for them over the phone or if you're not comfortable doing that, pray before you make the call and then call them and say, I just prayed for you. I just want to check on you. How are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need anything? We ought to have these kinds of specific moments when we stop and we spend them before God in prayer. But may I say the most powerful prayer you can pray is the prayer of asking Jesus to be your Savior. There is no more powerful prayer than the prayer of asking Jesus to be your Savior. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, and when he died there, he took the penalty of our sins on himself. He was buried and on that third day, that Easter Sunday morning, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Jesus rose from the grave. And now the one who is the living Savior comes to every one of us and he says, I want to give to you a gift, the gift of eternal life. I want to forgive your sins forever. I want to make you my child. I want to give you eternal life with me. I want to give you a promised home in heaven. And there is no more powerful prayer than that prayer that you would pray in asking Jesus to be your Savior. Could we bow our heads together again? And then remind you, you don't want to jump offline just yet because there's one more story coming. Stay with me. But let's bow our heads for just a moment. If you've never asked Christ to be your Savior right where you are, would you pray a simple prayer, something like this? Dear Lord Jesus, I am a sinner just as the Bible says. 
You are the Savior. You came to pay the penalty of my sins, and my only hope is in you. Jesus, save me. Make me your child. Forgive me of my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. Jesus, today, I trust you to be my Savior. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us to recognize the significance of prayer when we're troubled, when we're anxious, when we're fearful. Those are moments to go get alone, turn off the noise and get alone and pour our hearts out to you and listen to you and feel you loving us as we commune with you through prayer. Lord, you're a great God. You're an omnipotent God. And Lord, we need to learn to pray big prayers like that 10-year-old prayed. Lord, we need to pray for you to stop this pandemic. And Father, we need to pray that our nation will turn our hearts back to you and recognize that ultimately our safety comes from you. So Lord, I pray that there'll be many who will take the challenge, that they'll spend time before you in prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to read you one more story. Before I do that, if you prayed with me a few moments ago to ask Jesus to be your Savior, in the comment box, would you just say yes? Yes, I prayed. Yes, I prayed. Or if you aren't at a place where you can make a comment in the comment box, would you just send me a message, prayer at lmbc.org, prayer at lmbc.org. Just tell me, I I prayed with you. Yes, I prayed. I know what that means. That means you asked Jesus to be your Savior. You say, why do you want to do that? Because I want to rejoice with you. I want to be able to say welcome to the family of God. There's one last story as I finish today from Dr. Rosevere's book, Living Faith. Listen to it. Generally, in the Congo, we did not know who was praying for us nor where. We just suddenly experienced peace of heart in the midst of fear, deliverance in the midst of danger, healing in the midst of sickness, and we knew that God was answering someone's prayer. On a few occasions, we learned more details, perhaps to encourage our faith in prayer and to remind us that this is the way that God chooses to act. The night of October 28, 29, in the Congo uprising of 1964, At the height of the awful horror of that night, I was taken, beaten, and brutally humiliated by the guerrilla soldiers. I was briefly tempted to cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Weeks later, we were rescued. Months later, after I had spoken at a meeting near Manchester in northwest England, a lady came up to me. I don't want to distress you, doctor, she said hesitantly, but do you remember the night of October 28, 29? I certainly did. Were you in special need that night? Most undoubtedly I was, she continued. I went to bed early that night with a headache. I woke up about 11.30, 1.30 where I was as the rebels set about to beat me up. And your name was in my mind. She did not know me. So far as I know, we had never met before, but I was a name on her prayer list. 
I got out of bed and down on my knees to pray for you. I went to get back in bed but had no peace. So I woke my husband and we both got on our knees and prayed for you. Again, we went to get into bed but we had no peace. We stayed on our knees praying for you till 1.30, 3.30 where I was. We felt the burden lift and were enabled to return to sleep. Dr. Rosevere continues, God had met with me in the early hours of that morning. There had been no special vision or blinding light, just a sudden overwhelming consciousness of his presence and power, a great certainty of belonging to him and of his concern for me and of his ability to undertake for me, no matter what the circumstances God stirred in me a remembrance of how his son went to the cross for me with no resistance, and a strange calm pervaded my heart. I began to sense that I was being privileged to share in some little way in the edge of the fellowship of his sufferings. And listen to the last sentence. I'm not saying that if those two had not prayed for me, God would not have met with me. But I am saying that that is how God chooses to act by prayer that is how god chooses to act let's be a praying people and let's ask god to do something great and let's ask god to stop this pandemic thank you for joining us please continue to look for the resources that are online and keep connecting with us until we can come together again May the Lord bless you on this Sunday.